Hey everyone, welcome back to Latter Day Takes. I'm gonna be quick on this intro because it's a fairly long episode. I actually had to end up doing a two-parter uh, per Justin's request. It's a very long story about quite a night for a young man, Justin Hicken, who got arrested at the Oklahoma BYU game back in 2009. I thought it was worth telling. Pretty funny uh, parts to it, and uh, we had a fun time going through it and kind of rehashing the night the night's events. Uh, with that, I will also warn you that there was some cutting I had to do and kind of lumping some things together, so it's not the best transition-wise in that regard, but suffice it to say, it still works. Y'all will get the gist of it. It's definitely a deviation from how heavy this podcast has been lately, so I thought this would maybe be a nice release for most of us. Anyway, hope y'all are having a great week. Have a great weekend going into it. Go Cougars. Coming up this Saturday, I'll be down there in Vegas. I'm sure I'll be able to give you all a recap come Monday. Talk to you later. Mormons are really nice people. Totally nice. They are the yes. best cult. Have you ever, under the influence of alcohol, questioned the teachings of the Mormon church? Well, these Mormons are so nice. Everybody's so nice. <laughs> Everybody's so nice in Utah. They're all Mormon, right? Yeah. So they're not most drinking. Of it, most of it. And they're like not cussing. They're like, Slovis, you stink. <laughs> I'm afraid it was the Mormons. Yes, the Mormons were the correct answer. Shout out to the Latter-day Saints. All right, joining us on the podcast today, long time, first time, if I'm not mistaken, long time caller, first time, or sorry, long time listener, first time caller, except that he's live in studio. I love it when they're live in studio. Justin Hicken, the man of many talents. But more primarily known for basically a mustache with a face. That's true. Mistaken. That's true, yeah. Which is, unfortunately, <laughs> you have um, not given us the the uh, the glory of being it, in your presence with that it, mustache. It comes and goes. I think the longest stretch I ever had it was about two years. It was this last stretch. But usually I'll, I'll keep it for about a year to two years and then I'll shave it off for a couple years and then bring it back. I can't even, I don't even have that much patience. Like I'm kind of growing the beard right now and it's only been a, like maybe a month and I'm already kind of sick of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See um, my, my big thing was I can't grow a full beard. I can grow the chin strap. I can grow the sideburns, but it was spotty or patchy kind of in the cheeks. And so I realized early on I could do a pretty good mustache. And so I just roll with that. Yeah, you can. You can do a pretty good mustache. I think you just do yourself a disservice by calling it pretty good. Uh, and I can't grow a full beard either. I just kind of fake it here and there, I think. But regardless. I think this is the best I've seen you with a beard. What like do you as mean? Far, as far as it's the fullest I've seen you have a beard before. And maybe I'm just having a bad memory, but I don't recall. Well, first and foremost, you are recently returned to, Mich- uh, to Utah. so Recent return missionary. Yeah, I almost, <laughs> I almost said that. Sorry, okay, whatever. Um... I'll have to cut that out. No. Um, you recently returned to Utah, so you haven't been around me a whole lot, man. Maybe. Maybe that's it. Maybe you're, yeah, you're it. changing on me. Are you saying my beard looks good, though? No, it's a good look. I like mm. it. I'm, mm. a, I'm a fan. The real reason we brought Justin on, though, uh, to the podcast was just to tell us everything he loves about the podcast, if I'm not mistaken. So what are your favorite things, Justin? Hey, I'm just glad to finally <laughs> be here. The, the, the irony or the funny thing about this is no joke, I probably know personally half the guests that you've had on the podcast. Chase doesn't really count. I know he's kind of a reoccurring guest, but, yeah. uh, you know, Sean Gleason, 
Lisa Rogers, even Jackie Smith from my home ward was on, has been on the oh, podcast. Oh, random. Um, I didn't realize that. Shane, I'm trying to think who else has been on here. I'm trying to think about all the, the past episodes. But, you know, there's a good handful of people. It's like, these are all my friends and they've been on the show. So, so it was a long time glad, coming. Glad to finally make it on. But you don't know Porter. You don't know Tad Collister. That's true. I don't. I mean, I know of them. I could I, pull it. I, so now I should need to focus on people you don't know, basically, so it seems more prestigious than it really is, I guess. Before we get to the story, the meat of that, I do want to cover a couple things real quick. Kalani got an extension. Five years, right? 2020... Or four years. Four-year extension. It's up to 2025, I think, right? Like, that's, that's through the 2025 season yep. or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, I don't. I think it's premature, but Tom Homo has done that plenty, so I guess it's no surprise. I, I think it's premature because I think this is going to be the best season to gauge exactly where Kalani's at. He already got his extension back in like 2018, didn't he? Yeah, it's kind of kind of strange, kind of strange to do it ahead of what we probably know is going to be a really tough schedule. And it's going to be tough. That's the thing. What, what's the what's the rush there's there's a lot of optimists out there and you know you guys say well you know justin's you know he's a diehard and all this stuff like i i wouldn't be surprised at all if byu go six and six or heaven very possible or heaven forbid like doesn't get to six wins i think we'll get to six wins but six and six is on the low end of what i would expect and i it's not impossible on the other hand though let's say byu goes 10 and 2 this year or something like that Anytime a coach has back-to-back seasons like that, you know there's going to be really lucrative offers coming in. For sure, them. but so you think maybe, that's worth the risk? Maybe that's what they felt like. It's you know maybe, maybe they maybe they risk him you know completely flopping this year, and then it's like well we paid this guy through twenty twenty five, but on the other hand, if you lose him because he gets a better offer, then I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm being too. Uh, confident here, but I feel like we wouldn't lose Kalani. I feel like he's at home at BYU. Yeah, I mean, it does seem to me like we have the pieces in place to be successful for a few years, so I don't think it's a huge risk, to be honest. I do. I don't see the point of waiting. I really don't, but I mean, you are right about like maybe he'd get a lot of offers after the season if he did pretty well, but I don't know. I don't know. I can't remember. Was when Croton was let go, was, was there any buyout associated with that, or did he have any time left on a contract or anything? I think that or? was the end of his contract. I'm pretty sure that was the end yeah, of his contract. So they didn't probably. extend him after that first year, did they? Yeah. So I, it just... I, it's, think, I think they might have... It, it, well, it's just weird to me because I guess, you know, and I, I think no, about... No, probably not, actually. You know, like, maybe a little bit basketball, probably, but like, you know, BYU football, It's it's been what, since before Lavelle that there's been like, hey, you know, we... We might choose to let you go before the end of your contract, or, or go a different direction. And so, yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting. Like you'd think if they'd ran into that before, where it's like, oh man, we had to eat this money before. We're going to be a little bit more careful about it. Um, but maybe they're not thinking too much about that because it hasn't happened for so long. What do you guys think? We got Arizona in the bag. You know, they're still a Pac-12 school. They probably still have some good talent. I think. I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if it ended up being a close game. I mean, I know back in 2016, I think the narrative then when we played Arizona and beat them on the last second field goal was that they were kind of like a trendy pick to beat us. 
because they had that quarterback who was supposed to be really good, ended up not being that great. Um, but I wouldn't be shocked to see it be a close game. It's the, the first game of the year. You, you can't really predict that well. It's just there's too many variables. There's Everyone's kind of playing cold. You don't really know how to game plan for your opponent. I, 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 I My gut says BYU is going to win by 14 to 21 points, but I could totally see it being a close game. <laughs> Yeah, I think you can't you can't let them hang around. You got to punch them in the mouth early. If you let them hang around, you're gonna give them hope. And just like that BYU OU game, uh, things get weird when you, you give the underdog hope. Well, I, another guy got us both here. What about Utah? We're gonna win. I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic. You guys legitimately both think we're gonna. Jaron Hall is gonna break the Max Hall curse. That's the only thing that gets me excited is seeing a a Hall break the Hall curse. I just don't see it talent wise, man. I think Utah's pretty freaking good this year, but I don't know. I I think they are too, but it's the home home field, man. I mean, something. I mean, you look back at the the nine losses, and there has been a lot of bad luck and rough breaks sprinkled in with. Those losses, I mean, there's there's several years where you could argue that BYU was actually the better team. I still can't believe losing to them Wilson's freshman year. I still can't yeah. believe that game. We were up 20, so we were up 20 to nothing. And Se- then, 17 and, going into and, the fourth and, quarter. And then we were up 27 to 7. Oh, well, we got scared. And, and then just, it all just fell apart. We got, we got scared and we played uber conservative. Yeah. One thing I'll say about Utah, that, you know, I, I think Utah's overperformed in the Pac-12 to a degree, and I think part of it is they just love momentum. When they get momentum, they're unstoppable. Like, there's something about the way Kyle Whittingham coaches. He's he's all about, like, his style of play is actually kind of boring, but it's, like, more about, like, get like basically play boring offense and get turnovers on defense. And those, the way they get those turnovers and the way they'll swing momentum, it, does, it there is something to that. Because that's it, – it, what blows my mind is how many freaking times – Utah has picked off the first pass of the game and ran it back yep. for a touchdown. This yeah. happened like three freaking times. Way too times. many. Way too <laughs> like, many. Like in 2016 it happened. It happened with Mangum in 2015. And there was another time. There's at least one other time where they literally picked off the first pass of the game and ran it back for Probably a touchdown. Probably not the first pass, but maybe it, the first It might pass. even happen yeah. with Taysom, too. Well, that year. was in 2016. Okay, one, yeah. 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 Well, yeah, def- and definitely at the Vegas Bowl. But I'm curious to see – I mean, here's the deal. If, if BYU loses – it's going to suck. It's going to be a big bummer. But, like, what else changes from what's happened every other year for the last several years? I hate but, that hashtag 10 is coming. But, I uh, freaking oh, yeah. hate it. No, but, it's time to humble these bastards. But, but, I'm yeah, what, what's going to be really interesting is if BYU wins, how will the Ute fans react who do not remember what it feels like to lose to BYU? They'll just point out, oh, you, 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 blind squirrel, you know, whatever. They, yeah. they, they'll, they'll, they'll just point to, like, oh, that's not one out of the last ten. They'll just diminish yeah. it like that. I think they will, but I think secretly inside they're going to hate it so much and so much more that they don't get a crack at us for the next couple of years because of the series that they have with Florida. Yeah, it would be nice to, to on the on the last game before they take a hiatus, to take it to him and, and be able to say, oh, 768 days since you've last beat BYU. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's stupid thing. Oh, gosh. But, yeah. So, it'll it'll be interesting. I mean, I'm very I, – I think we could do it. You know, I, I hope it works out. But we just – we got to have some, some good ball bounces and a little bit of luck, too. Also, mind you, the two years that BYU actually probably would have won that game were the two years we didn't play. 
2014 because yeah. we would have played it at the beginning of the exactly. year. Exactly. And Taysom when, when Taysom in 2014, that team was unstoppable. Yeah. That team yeah, we would probably would have beat him 2014. We would have beat him, yeah. and then 2020, you got to think we would have beat him. Even Utah, even the Utah yeah. fans I know that yeah. are and they're pretty objective guys, yeah. they're pretty pragmatic. They think BYU would have won last year too. Yeah, that would it probably would have been a, the year. It would have been a good game, but I think BYU wins. I yeah. Yeah. The way Zach Wilson was running that offense. These these Ute fans that you run into that quote unquote never want to play BYU again. I strongly believe that's only because yeah you want to end on this long winning streak and you don't want to risk a loss. Uh, I think if they take a loss, they're going to want to play again. They're going to want another crap. I don't think they're going to want to end on a loss and be like, no, we're fine not playing you guys. I think it's only because they won so much and I think because they know they've been a little fortunate in some of those wins. I'm sure that's true. And there's also an ego thing with the Pac-12 and BYU is not in a P5. So if we get the Big 12, I think that will kind of settle that score a little bit too. So. So on that note, actually, I want to talk about that. Is a Big 12 invite coming? Seems like it. Seems I mean, more real than it's ever been before. Absolutely. Because before, it's always kind of been like you hear through like some like not credible source that, oh, BYU might get in. This time, some it's like... Some rando on Cougar Board. Yeah. Everyone's saying it this time. It's like ESPN saying it. Like every, everyone who's anyone is basically It's already taking it. them too long, though. I don't get what they're waiting for. I don't. I, I think tomorrow. I think Bowlesby is... He's so stubborn... That somehow he believes that they can still keep their P5 status, even with just eight teams. And There's then, no way and then, he so. And then actually still benefit from you know the lucrative contract that's still in place where individual schools could like, well, we could still get this amount of money, but but there's no long-term solution for it, right? Long-term, that can't work. That will fizzle by 2025. But for some reason, and, and I know people say, oh, there's no way. Well, I think the guy was an idiot not to expand a couple years ago when he there was the original time. Big-time idiot. Bowlesby is an idiot, actually. So, I'm not even sure if you want to be in that conference. So if, if he was an idiot then, why could he not still be an idiot now? He could easily be an idiot, and as much as there's people telling him, you're stupid, don't do this, you have to do this, this is conference suicide, they may still dig their heels in and say, no, we're, we, th- we think we'll do it. That's a good point. Bowlesby actually might be really stupid. Yeah, but according to the rumors, and I don't know how credible this is, but they're saying that the last time around, the people who didn't want us was Texas and Oklahoma, and now that they're out of the picture, it seems oh, like we, 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 have a better, we have a better angle to get in. And I will say this time, it feels like the woke stuff isn't sticking as much as it did in 2016 where they basically said, oh, we can't have BYU because of their policies. So I heard something on that. I heard that part of what BYU revised in their honor code when it came to LGBT stuff was that they basically wanted to match what Baylor had. So that way, if there is anything that comes down on BYU specific, BYU is going to say, well, if we got to change it, then Baylor's got to change it. And so it's kind of like they're going to force the Big 12's handy, either do something to Baylor or just be like, whatever, come in, we don't care, it's the same, we, we're already used to this policy well, in existence and for religious programs in our conference. They're so much more desperate this time too, I mean, right, they, and too. the Big 12 situation is night and day compared to what it was a few years ago, yeah. and so they, they're the ones who are desperate, and BYU's kind of like, well, independence ain't so bad, but Big 12 would be nice, but you guys are going to have to kind of make it the way we like it to make it work, I hope sure. they don't get too greedy. Because that could backfire, but yeah, because they we could find out tomorrow. BYU's been too greedy. Now they're going with Cincinnati or something like that. So well, they need more than just Cincinnati. But well, you know the biggest loser in all of this, Is Utah. That, why? 
because now all that, you know, recruiting advantage they have where they can tell all these Utah kids, oh, you could go to BYU or you can come play in a P5 school. That suddenly is gone. I wonder how much of that played into their And you had that played a role. There's no question about that. Yeah. But uh, with that said, BYU seems to do a pretty good job recruiting. I don't know. All things crazy. considered, yes. But as, our recruiting rankings are never that good. It just happens to True. be that we're just we get the right kind of guys. We develop talent in, our, in, the, yeah. in, a, in a good way. But and we get there are certain positions we seem to have. Well, a, a and you're the good. one that said more than anybody that four star quarterbacks that we get never pan out anyway they never do our, our best quarterbacks have all been three stars you go yeah. back john beck wilson Max was a three Hall. star wilson was a three star are you sure yeah. i actually thought he was a four but pretty, you might be right pretty sure he was a three i mean it, it depends on your source but i think there's different rating systems yeah. but i'm pretty sure wilson was a three in fact jaron hall was rated slightly better than zach wilson no way yeah According to rivals, but Conover was a four star for sure. Yeah, but then that's why he's probably going to flame out and not. <laughs> I hope he sticks around. I hope he doesn't transfer. But we'll see. I mean, there's always. Well, the, yeah, the problem is, is Jaron Hall's only got one year extra, or he's got only got one year extra yeah. on Jaron, and so does he want to wait around until he's a senior to get his shot? Because if Jaron ends up being good and Jaron wants to stick it out through his senior year, maybe he won't. But. That could send Conover packing, That's true. which would suck. Although I think I think it's wishful thinking, and you know, knock on wood here, but I think the injury bug will rear its ugly head, and, and somebody will go down at some point. So there's there's going to be a need for them all. On the other hand, though, if Jaron Hall's good enough to keep Conover off the field, that's good news for BYU. That's true. So that's really that's true. true. Um, don't count out Baylor Romney though. I, I still, I still like reliable. him. Good old reliable. I, I, I still Baylor. like Baylor Romney. I hope he never transfers because he seems like such a great backup quarterback to have on the on the roster. Yeah. But. Well, I have a personal investment in in uh, Hall doing well because I was very vocal during the 2019 season that Jaron Hall was absolutely better than Zach Wilson, and and on the field it looked that way. And then Zach Wilson comes and makes me look like an idiot. Well, Jaron Hall made looked like more of a playmaker. Yeah, and Zach Wilson was like wanted to be a playmaker but never quite pulled it off just because i don't know there was just a lot going on there and then when he was able to like zero in on what his actual skills were and become not just a game manager but like like just an executioner behind the line like he he became incredible yeah. It was like he was paying attention to the wrong things it's like zach wilson wanted to be like jaron hall but that wasn't really staying in his lane his athleticism was there, but not quite to Jaron Hall's level. And so once he was like, wait, let's stick to what your actual strengths are. And that's probably what John Beck did really well with Zach Wilson would be my guess. Yeah, case in point, I'll, I'll make this comment only because I went out there. Right? I went out to this Coastal Carolina game last year and absolutely frustrating. Yeah. But I think about the play where, you know, second half, there was kind of that, that rough, you know, cheap shot from 94 mm-hmm. or whatever. And there was that drive where it seemed like it got personal for Zach. And unfortunately, I can't, like, I think we settled for a field goal, or maybe we didn't even score. I can't remember what happened, but there was a specific play where Zach tried to, like, beat him on a run or something weird. And I was just like, why? You know, just throw to one of your receivers. Don't make this be about you and him. And I think what you were talking about, uh, too, Harper, is just where it's like, play to your strengths. It's like, yeah, it was like there were there were games early on in Zach's career where maybe he was trying to do a little too much with the legs or juke yeah. guys or different things. It's like no, you are a technician when it comes to placing the football in people's hands. You, you know, in some cases you couldn't do it better if you walked up and put it in there. 
do that, do that. Don't worry about trying to outrun somebody that. Yeah, you know. I think he got caught up in that. Um, and I think Jaron Hall was natural. Like his lane is like kind of making the crazier play. It is outrunning a guy. It's it's. I'm telling you, he and Taysom are cut from the same cloth. Yeah. Right. Zach Wilson's not that same cloth. He's a fantastic breed of quarterback. In fact, he's more of a way more of a traditional quarterback than Jaron Hall or Taysom Hill will ever be in my mind. Jaron Hall has some some uh, talents that could really be amazing to see, but I, they're just different styles, and I think that was the main difference that you saw. And I think it was fair to have that criticism in that time, but what we didn't count on was Zach Wilson honing in on those skill sets and actually staying in his lane and, and becoming amazing in his own right. Yeah. I will say that uh, Jaron Hall seems more like a natural leader. That kind of seemed like... Well, he was voted. He was actually voted captain. Yeah. Wasn't, he? wasn't there some weird controversy with yeah, Zach? Yeah, where Zach was. And you could just tell Zach... Zach like he doesn't seem very likable. You know, I'll he, be he, he, I'm sure. I'm sure if you could put, or at least he didn't. I yeah. think he seems more likable now, believe it or well, not, it, that he's it, in the NFL. If but. you gave his team truth serum, I think a lot of guys probably didn't like Zach. That he just had one of those personalities. I'm sure there were guys behind closed doors be like, yeah, that kid's kind of a punk. But you know, when he feels like he owns the place, that's probably yeah. the case. But when he's like coming in as a rookie quarterback of the New York Jets, it does actually seem like he kind of holds his like oh, like it's, he, it's, it, yeah, his personality he, fits the NFL better than yeah. it does college yeah well he seems way more like reserved which I think is the right move mm-hmm. maybe he's just uh, he's scared of what Lisa Wilson is going <laughs> to do in the future and so he's always never he's never really saying too much yeah. Well, and I, I think about you know like a Max Hall type guy right rubbed people the wrong way maybe wasn't the, the friendliest guy but like that guy be Utah you know, like sometimes that's the type of guy or the attitude that you need where it's like, okay, maybe he's not everybody's favorite, but he's going to get the job done. If Jaron Hall doesn't beat Utah, he's dead to me. All right, let's put in Baylor. <laughs> but, all right, actually, okay, obviously that's not why you came on, thank goodness, but what we did want to have you on for and get into, and without further to-do, <laughs> reference there, just kidding. Without further ado, I do want to get into a story that you have because we're getting into the college football season, which I am so excited. Today specifically is the uh utah weber state game so we're cheering for utah right absolutely not (laughs) pulling for the miracle no i'm actually not so here's the thing i i said on the last episode that um at first i wanted utah to lose and then i was like wait if utah loses to weber state we're screwed like they're gonna come out and kill byu that's true So we can't have that happen that's true so no i'm not cheering for utah but like, good on them if they win or whatever. It's fine. Get them, give them their false confidence or whatever they need. So anyway, Justin, you gave us kind of a little bit of a reference here, and it's something I've talked about, like this arrest story. Now let's set the scene for you a little bit. What's funny about this is that Chase and I actually watched this game together, Oklahoma BYU 2009. I remember Chase probably won't even Chase may remember this part. There was like a ward breakfast I had that morning down in Provo. And I Chase came. I don't know. I don't even know why. Because it's not like we hung out a ton at BYU, actually. But yeah. Chase was there. And um, I remember BYU was pre-ranked 20. Oklahoma was pre-ranked 3. We all remember that because it was a big game for BYU that beginning, like beginning first game of the season. And um, I remember Chase was making a scene to a bunch of people in my ward because he's like, well, of course BYU would be ranked higher if they beat Oklahoma. They've got to be. They've got to be. How could they not? And it turns out he wasn't wrong, but, we'll get... <laughs> but I was just like, Chase, you don't even know these people. Just calm down, dude. But that's why we love Chase. That's why we bring him on the pod, because he's always making a scene. Anyway, 
Chase and I watched the game together that night. We had zero clue what was going to happen. Turns out miracles do exist, and the Lord is on BYU's side sometimes. And BYU pulled off this unbelievable victory in Dallas, the first game of the AT&T Stadium that Jerry Jones built for the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, that was probably the most holy crap moment of my entire BYU fan career. That more so than Texas, the strong. No, definitely Texas that movement. Oklahoma game. Not because that, that. Not only were they number three, but they were like there was like a it was, it was basically a three way number one between Oklahoma, and then who, I think Miami was in there, and there was one other I can't remember who it was, but like Sam Bradford was the returning Heisman. Like they were they were basically a number one, but they had like the number three ranking behind them. They were basically like the number one team in the country. Yeah, like three way tie. Yeah, I think they had split a lot of the first place votes. Yeah. You know, and just how it shakes out. Okay, yeah. this team's a couple points behind that. Team. That's actually a good point. They were in some in some people's mind, they were the best team in the country. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of people had picked a lot of analysts going into the season had picked them to win the national championship there. Yeah, that year, and a lot of it had to do with the fact that Sam Bradford had just previously won the Heisman. Coming back his junior year like that. All right, so that's kind of setting the scene. Justin is there in the stadium. Take us to it, man. What what takes place? All right. Well, I'll kind of I'll, I'll backtrack just a little bit. And, Please do. Uh, take you know take however you want. What, whatever we need to cut out, or you know th- this this whole I don't story cut is anything out. It's dude. it's it's purely for. I'm I'm glad I can hopefully bring some entertainment uh, to the podcast. I know sometimes topics can get a little heavy, get a little serious, and. For the listeners out there, this is just purely for uh, enjoyment. Hopefully you guys can get a laugh out of it. Um, But yeah, like Harper set the stage perfectly. I'll just add this. So I had just recently finished my undergrad at at BYU that summer. It was 2009, so about 12 years ago. And the job market was just terrible. I didn't have anything lined up as far as, as work goes after school. And I had been working... Uh, doing some seasonal stuff for a friend of mine named Britt Balcom. And that had to do with uh, lining up interviews for guys doing pest control sales during the summer. Well, obviously, as the summer's winding down, that work is winding up. And so I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next. Well, Britt reached out to me and said, hey, you want to go to this game? I can get you a ticket. And I thought, oh, man, that'd be great. But I also was putting this pressure on myself, like, uh, you know, I don't really have the money to be taking this type of trip down there, but uh, it sounds like a good time. There. So Britt goes, hey, no worries. I'm going to drive, so you don't have to worry about a plane ticket or anything. That's like, uh, by the way, I, I can actually tell you a straight shot. That's probably about an 18-hour drive. You're, yeah, you're right. So the plan was he was going to split it up, uh, spend the night in Albuquerque, you know, do about nine, ten hours, one leg, and then drive the next leg the next day. And so the game was on a Saturday. We were going to leave on a Thursday morning and then drive most of the day, spend the night, drive the next day, and then have the whole day to kind of prep and get ready to enjoy the game. And I was really excited. I mean, the big draw or the big pull was, like you guys said, in my mind, I thought, there's no way we're winning this game. We don't have a chance. But we knew I, we were good. We were coming yeah. off of two solid years with Max Hall, um, preseason ranked number twenty, which is solid. Like yeah. that—that was. I mean, I don't know what the highest preseason ranking BYU's ever had off the top of my head. I know it's been higher than that, but it hasn't 
hasn't been like it's never been top ten. I mean, we haven't had anything like that since then. I know that. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, we were a good team. We we a lot of promise. Our tight ends, like I mean, that was the Dennis Pitta, like his peak year. That was that was Dennis Pitta, Andrew George, like we just had an amazing team all around for sure. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, we we had lost Austin Collie to the draft. He left early, but we were still he actually left team. two years prior to that because he wasn't That's there right. for 08 either. That's right. Yeah. He, he was there in 08. I'm 90% sure. Um, we'll double check it. We'll double, I know he stayed through his junior year. You might be right. I think he yeah. stayed through his junior year, but I know he wasn't there as a player, but he was actually there as a fan. Um, but anyway, so we I, I think about this, and I go, you know what? I want to check out this stadium. I've heard amazing things. Jerry Jones's palace. Spent $2 billion on it. And I told myself, I said, if somehow we pull off the miracle and I had a chance to go and I didn't take it, I'd be kicking myself. So I tell Britt, I say, hey, I'm in. Let's plan on it. Uh, the only caveat was he was going to be sticking around in Texas for some business. And I thought, well, I can't just bum around on the road for a week like I gotta find a way to get home and he goes well you're welcome to ride with me down but I'm gonna stay out there for some work and then he was gonna drive to Louisiana because the very next week BYU was playing Tulane the Green Wave for the following game so he was gonna hit both games and I just thought I, I'm good for the one I'll figure out a way home you're just going in blind to Dallas, thinking like, whatever. You think you're going to fly back at that point? Well, I was trying to trying to think about what could I do, and keep in mind, you know, I'm I'm broke. I don't have any money, so I I pulled the weirdest move ever, and I don't know if you remember this. <laughs> First floor of the Wilkinson Center, there was something that was probably constructed in the in the late '60s or '70s. Yeah, it was a ride the board. The ride board. That's right. My, my whole undergrad, I had never used it once. But all of a sudden, this this thought comes to mind, why don't I check this out? So sure enough, I go to the ride board, and, you know, they had it divvied up into sections of the a big map, you know, in sections of the state. And sure enough, I'm able to find, and what it is is these little pieces of paper with someone's name and their destination and a phone number. And keep in mind, you know, this was 09. Uh, you know, you had cell phones, flip phones, but you didn't really have smartphones. And there was a section where it's like, okay, if you were looking for riders or if you were looking for a ride. And so I find this piece of paper. And I still remember this guy's name because it was a unique name for someone maybe closer to our age. But the guy's name was Ralph. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds made up for sure. I was definitely a 67-year-old. I call the number and this guy answers. And I say, Ralph, my name's Justin. and And I present to him this scenario because... I'm also trying to sell it because I knew I wasn't I wasn't the ideal passenger in that I only wanted the seat for these guys were obviously going out for the game and back and I really only needed the seat for the ride back and I was kind of hoping well hopefully I only have to chip in for gas the ride back like you know if I'm not there for the ride out so I present to him the situation and he goes yeah that's fine he goes we'll take you for the ride back and the reason I share this piece of information is because it it's pertinent later in the story, but he says, hey, you're going to be our sixth for the ride back, and I've got a 99 Dodge Durango, which I actually happen to be pretty familiar with because my family uh, had a 98 Durango, and I know yeah, that... What, like, what is a Durango? I don't even know what a Durango is. A Dodge is. Durango, it's, it's like an is SUV. A it's it's It's, it's the Explorer. As, it's a Dodge yeah. Explorer. It was the Dodge version of the Explorer, and I would say smaller than the Explorer. However similar in that they had that third 
small bench in the back, which had two seat belts in there. So that's where that's where you get your seven seat belts. You know, it was two, three, two. So that back that back row is gonna be all yours. Yeah. Like, so or you know or some or somebody's and somebody tree, goes, hey, man. you're our you're our sixth guy for the way back. So why don't you do me a favor? Why don't you pull that piece of paper with my name and number on it so that nobody else calls thinking yeah. that they can they can hop in? I go cool. You know. So I take the piece of paper. Put it in my pocket. Britt and I hit the road on a Thursday. And the only reason I'm sharing some extra details here is because it's also important later in the story. But we, we, we spend the night, grab a hotel in Albuquerque. That night while I'm in the restroom. So picture, you guys have probably all been in these type of hotels. but Keep in mind there's a lot of kids that listen to this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, keep, in, keep in mind, like... Some of these restrooms, they like kind of cram everything in, you know, it's like you're in a, an airplane restroom almost. And so I remember I was, I was getting out of the shower, grabbing a towel, and I made the stupid decision or move to, I put my little flip phone on top of this little shelf where the towels were, grab the towel, somehow the phone flips out, lands straight into the toilet. Luckily, like the toilet was clean or as clean as it can be, but I remember seeing it happen and within a second or two before I can actually grab it and get it out of there, I even saw like a few air bubbles come up from the phone. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, this is the worst luck. Because I go, we, we just left for this trip and now I'm, my phone's out of commission. And I was really bummed about it. And we even tried doing the, you know, you hear the tricks like, oh, the bag of rice. And so, you know, I took it apart, pulled the battery out, put it in a bag of rice. But at that point I had consigned myself to... I'm not going to have a phone the rest of the trip, and I really need to lean on Britt and probably his phone, and especially to make the connection with Ralph and his crew after the game and all this. So the next day we drive to Dallas. So you're not even, like, you didn't even take your phone with you at this point. Well, I took it with me, okay. but <laughs> I, I, I didn't have a lot of faith that we could revive it. But, yeah, we did put it in a bag of rice. You know, was, I don't know where, I can't remember where we got the rice, but somehow we picked up some rice, right, put the right. phone in there. So we get out to the stadium, and, and, I'll, and I'll say this, before the game started, there was, I mean, the stadium was just the coolest thing ever. It was like a, a modern-day Emerald City, and I imagine folks going down to the game in Vegas are probably going to have a similar experience where it's like you go in there and you're just blown away. I mean, it was just like a perfect 68 degrees. Um, the, the floor was immaculate, spotless. You know, it was like you mentioned there was – there had not been, there might have been a, a preseason game or two, but there hadn't been any, any official, yeah. you know, maybe a conference or something. There hadn't been an official, real live sporting event that counted like for anything maybe yet. Maybe high school or something. Possibly, yeah, possibly something. And so, I mean, it was just, we were just breaking this in, and it was, it was amazing. It was incredible. Well, Britt had pretty good tickets. I think we were on the, on the field level, I guess is what you would call it, or the bottom level of the stadium. And I believe there's about four levels. You know, there might be a, a fifth a fifth level, a smaller suite level. But we had decent tickets, but Britt's just kind of a goofy guy, and he's always looking to, to one-up himself or do one better. And so we get there, we're walking around, and we find ourselves at the very bottom, even below the bottom level, there were a bunch of field-level suites, which were pretty much flush with the level of the field. And you would go in, and it was a typical suite. You know, they had like a little bar, TV, uh, and then there was like an open patio 
that would basically run up to a fence, and then there was the field right there. That, they had suites on the... They had, they had these suites on the actual they, field level. Don't tell me you guys had a suite. We didn't have one. Oh, okay. We didn't say. have one, but Britt wanted to go check them out. I was like, and I so, would have gone to that game not knowing how to get home either if that was on the table. Yeah, so we go into one of these, and Britt just acts like, this is our suite. And I remember it was really funny because we were in there for like 20, 30 minutes pregame. I mean, we, we got to the stadium early, as early as we could be let in. And I remember Tom Homo and Brian Santiago walking by and looking at Britt like, of course you'd have a suite. Even though we didn't have it, we were the only, if you looked around all the suites, there was no BYU fans that actually had a suite. And we didn't really have one either. But that's classic Britt. I mean, he was, he knew these guys because back in the day he'd been a donor uh, to, to BYU Athletics and was kind of familiar with him. But a few minutes goes by, the... Is he the one that took Nick Emery to Harry Potter World? He is not the one who did <laughs> that. Just but, uh, but 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 for another podcast, Britt Brit found himself in some trouble too. We can we can share that story another time. But uh, um, but anyways, the owners of the suite come in and and we just oh yeah, this is you guys. Okay, cool. You know, we're just keeping it warm for you. We take off. We we make a left turn, and I remember we we're just still kind of checking stuff out. We find ourselves uh, in this big open bar area just level with the field right at the 50 yard line and this is important because this is where we ended up camping out or staying for the entire game and i remember Britt took 20 bucks uh you know went up to the bartender and said hey we're gonna be hanging out here for for a little bit uh we're not gonna be buying any alcohol but if you can take care of us with some sprites you know we'll we'll be here for a little while and he goes oh yeah and i i still remember it was funny because there wasn't a lot of activity down there. I think maybe just because it was new and people not knowing the stadium very well, but it wasn't like, oh, hey, yeah, this is a, a hot spot or a popular spot. Let's go watch the game here. But it was... It well, was... One thing I've learned in situations like that, and this was once since writing for KSL, is that honestly, the badge only gets you somewhere half the time anyway, or at least half the people are looking is really what I mean. Sure. And the other half aren't because they're just there's a body language component to it where it's like if you just act like you own it and like you know what you're doing and know where you're going nobody questions you yeah because there's plenty of people that don't have badges in those situations and a lot of these people are low level quite frankly in organizations so they don't want to be the one to be like uh do you belong here unless you have an overzealous type which some for whatever reason seems to be rampant at byu so you can't really ever get away with anything like byu yeah but in places like maybe at&t stadium i could see that being the case where people are just like i don't really want to question this because I'm not getting paid a whole lot to do that. Yeah. And that was Brit to a T. Like he was always looking to kind of bend the rules a little bit or see what type of angle he could get just to, to better his situation, you know, a little bit. And, and so I was just along for the ride, but yeah, this, and I mean, unless you're one of those people that kind of likes being up high or having an angle, I mean, we were, we were right level with the guys on the field. You know, we were just basically had this little three and a half foot plexiglass fence uh, in front of us. And other than that, we were just watching the game. And I remember it was really funny. BYU had a bunch of their alums that had come out. I, I even took, I had this goofy picture with Reno Mahe and, um, oh gosh, I'm drawing a blank now. Who was it? We, we were just talking about him leaving early. Um, Collie. Collie, Austin Collie. Which, by the way, fact check true. It was he did play two thousand eight. The reason why I get that confused is because I got back from my mission in October two thousand eight, and I only had half a season of college, oh, gotcha, basically. Gotcha. 
Yeah, so, so like he left early, but so I remember, I remember Maya and Kali were on the field, and I just I shouted to him. I said, "Hey, you know," and they they both kind of turned around with their arm around each other, and I took a this, kind of the goofiest looking picture. I'll have to show you guys, but I actually Brian, know Reno. Yeah, Brian, I played ball with uh, Reno. Oh yeah, like I, I, I Mahe, I played ball with him like a bunch of times. Yeah, super nice guy. He actually is a super nice guy. Yeah. I really like Reno Mahe. I was gonna say uh, Brian Keel was there. And, and just, yeah, a handful of other guys. And so, you know, it was a big deal, and I don't know, we were just happy to be there. Well, um, I won't say too much about the game, but for those that remember, BYU kept it pretty close, and it was right before the half uh, when there was the injury to Sam Bradford. And you guys probably Colby all... Clawson. Colby Clawson. You guys all probably remember Max Hall running off the field yep. saying, we're going to win. We're going to win. We're going to win. And we were down actually at the time. We were down ten to seven, but it was it was a low scoring game. It felt game. like momentum was on our side though. Absolutely. I remember going into halftime being like, I'm feeling this. Especially now you know, the reason the real reason why I had to have been because Sam Bradford went down. Yeah. And like I think we had known at that point he wasn't returning. Yeah. And um yeah, that was kind of the narr- narrative. It was that like, wait a second, if Sam Bradford's really not returning for the second half, like, we might actually win this. And then of course you had a lot of people being like, how callous is Max Hall to say we're going to win this after <laughs> Sam Bradford went down for the rest of the game? And it's like, who freaking cares? And this was pre-cancel culture. I can't even imagine. I know. Yeah. I know. Well, and especially with that score being what it was. I mean, granted, you know, if you're down a two or three scores and he goes out, you're thinking, well, that's... It's still kind of take a miracle, but it's not impossible. That's a lot to overcome. But, yeah, it was... Uh, so there you was... You guys remember the backup quarterback name, too? Uh, was it Lance well, or something? Landry Jones. Yeah, Landry Jones. Jones. And he ended up going pro, too, right? He ended up he being did. pretty good. He, played, he was a backup at Pittsburgh for a while. I don't know where he is now. He actually broke some records at Oklahoma. I think he, I think he, he like right. broke the single-season touchdown record or something yeah. like that. Yeah, He ended up no, going pretty well. Uh, he was like a huge recruit. but And he actually did a solid job coming in against BYU. Like It wasn't like a shoot. Like It wasn't a gimme that BYU yeah. won that game after that. But let me go back to something real quick because I want to clarify. So... You did you guys stay in that suite the whole time? We no, so we left. We left. The, the, At what point the, in the game? Th- this was actually before the game started. Okay, so, so where were your tickets? So the tickets were were somewhere on the lower level, but was the, everybody's tickets on the lower level? Because sometimes they do that. They don't no, I mean it was it, the the thing was sold out. I mean I would say I think, but they're not all like three or four levels were were sold out. Were yeah, no, it seriously? was maxed out. Yeah, there was it, it was eighty thousand people in there. And I want to say, you probably had about, there was a good turnout from BYU. I don't know if it was 6,000. I don't know if it was as much as 12,000, but it was it was a good solid chunk. Like I Of look the 80,000, there were yeah. only 12,000? Well, think? for BYU. I, think, I, I, think I don't think there, I don't think there's maybe 15, you know, but that was, like I, I think back to some of these other was games. Was it for, for OU home game? Well, it was, a, it was technically a neutral game. That's what I thought. So why but, wouldn't BYU have way more tickets sold? Well, I, I just think because of the travel. Well, here's here's in for perspective for you. So so I've I, I generally will try to travel to at least one road game a year, and like and that. I've been to some good ones. I've I've missed some good ones. But so for example, the game I was at the game against Nebraska, you know the hail mary throw. Oh wow! And for as big as that stadium is. BYU had twenty five hundred fans there. 
we hardly had well, that makes any more fans. sense. Nebraska's got yeah. one of the biggest diehard fan bases yeah. in the country. Yeah, but well, I they mean, sell out every game, so it's probably hard for yeah. visitors to get their hands on tickets. But I just kind of remember like seeing those little slivers and stuff. And I'm well, that's also like, not yeah. exactly the best comparison, Alina, because you're talking neutral. Yeah. Oklahoma BYU versus a true home game versus true home yeah. Nebraska. Well, the only reason I bring it up is because I remember like seeing okay, where's the blue in the stadium versus because against Oklahoma it was a contrast too. You had sure. the maroon yeah. versus the blue, and so yeah, I mean you know we might have had as much as fifteen thousand, but I don't think we had more than that. You know, um, so I'd, yeah, it'd be interesting to kind of figure out what the ticket sales were and all that stuff. But who knows if you'll ever really truly figure it out, but. Anyway, back to the story. Second half, we're starting to believe, right? Hey, we we might actually pull this off. Now, I think, if I remember correctly, OU actually tacked on another field goal. So we were down 13-7, but you're thinking, hey, you know, touchdown, we take the lead. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, it was just the clock kept getting chewed away, and then BYU had this amazing drive, and I remember Pitta, had some really key receptions, and I think the final touchdown was McKay Jacobson. McKay Jacobson in the back in, in the end in, zone. In the end zone. And wide we, open, too. Yeah, wide open, wide open. And, and we were just going nuts. We were going crazy. But the, the funny thing, right, like down there in this little open bar area, it was just Britt and I. There was nobody else really down there. So wait, you're back in the bar? So, so there was... The bar was different from the suite, right? So the suite was like, oh, okay. the suite was just kind of like this little area, this pocket. But then once we left the suite, there was just this big open bar area and a big, huge, like open window to the field. And Britt just said, hey, you know, this is, why don't we just stay here? You know, this seems pretty good. I don't know how we can beat this spot. So that's where we were for the whole game. And when we went ahead and went up a point, there was probably about two and a half minutes left and you're a little nervous because you're thinking, well, that's plenty of time for a field goal. And sure enough, I think OU attempted one with about a minute left or 40 seconds or whatever it was. It's like a 54-yarder. Yeah, it was, it was a long one. It was a long one, yeah. but you're thinking, eh, you never it might. Like, yeah, no, it wasn't you know? out of the realm of possibility. I remember uh-huh. that. And, yeah, I remember I remember missing that. And at that point, we're just like, we did it, you know? And Britt and I hadn't really... I don't at this point, Chase and I had run outside the house and we're screaming like a bunch of little high school girls we were going it's all crazy. a big blur to me now but that's not remember that I, I, there was something along those we lines we were so pumped i remember we were in draper too yeah i think was Graydon there too i don't think Graydon was there I, he might have been maybe yeah, but yeah. uh anyway yeah we were watching together at my i, we were, I remember watching the second half of my parents house yeah. yeah well i've seen videos too of like people back in provo running into the streets and just going nuts. that was one of the first times i remember when there was like a plan to go see the team when they came back at the airport yeah and i remember chase and i initially were like yeah we're gonna go and then it got to be like 1 a.m. that night, and they were supposed to land at like 3.30, and we're like, oh, no, that's ridiculous. Yeah. But I think we did go down to Provo and like join some kind of celebration, if I remember. Maybe, yeah. but there's, I think there was probably just a bunch of random parties going on. Yeah, there's anyway. videos of people like walking Provo up parties. University Avenue, just yelling and shouting, and yeah, just funny stuff. Yeah, center, or, or yeah, University was, I think, going crazy that yeah. night, actually. Yeah. Provo's so wild, guys. So wild. <laughs> so I'll, so it kind of has a, a precursor to what happens next. You know, I don't think this was something Britt and I discussed. It was just like, this is what you do. But So if you think of, Harper, you mentioned this, BYU had had a lot of success 
within the few previous seasons recently. Oh six, oh seven, oh eight, or sorry, oh six, oh seven, oh eight, oh nine. Yeah, that yeah. four-year run was the best four-year run BYU's had this century, no yeah. question. And it actually rivals probably just about any four-year run BYU's ever had. Yeah, seriously, I don't, I don't know if you'd ever uh, find like maybe the early eighties. Like had a slightly better yeah, one, yeah, maybe late seventies, eighty five or something. Yeah, you know? I would say that's better, but maybe yeah, this is close. No, no, I'm saying it rivals it though. Sure. Like in, in terms of prestige, like I mean, we it, were a force. We were ranked year in and year yeah, out. Yeah, but like, but it, it lacked that one like killer season though. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's why yeah. I didn't say it was the best. It had it was four very solid seasons. Very together. solid. No, yeah. I'm saying like yeah. when I say rival, does that mean it's the best? Let's actually listen to what I'm saying. <laughs> four years stretch in BYU history rivals a lot of others. That doesn't make it the best. I will even concede that there was some four-year stretch in the 80s that was better, but this could have been the second best. Sure. It really could have yeah, been. That's fair. Um, th- that's just to set the scene, because it really was. I was like coming off my mission, and I'm like, holy cow, BYU's going to just be back and be a force forever. And then little did I realize that the next proce- the succeeding decade was going to be the worst decade of BYU football. No, that's yeah. not true, but you know what I mean. Well, and the reason I mentioned that, and I can this could be for a whole different podcast, but I, this sounds so weird, but I had gotten used to rushing the field after big wins. Yeah. Which you're like, wait, how do you get used to that? Well, yeah. you think it had happened twice against Utah. It had happened against UCLA and the Vegas bowl on the Ethan Montemayula block. Uh, we, we even did it in 06 after we beat Monty Oregon. Isn't yeah. that the I mean, there, there was, it, it happened like four or five times in the last few years and it got to the point this is kind of a weird thing about me but like I loved it you know I got some weird rush or some weird high from doing it like those first initial seconds when you're out there I rushed the field twice actually now that you mention it I'm not a big field rusher yeah I'm also not one of those on Twitter that's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they rushed the field over that. (laughs) You know what? I am completely a defender of feeling the emotion in the moment. I don't think anyone really ever forces rushing the field. It's like one of those, it's like, well, you just know it. When you're there, you just know it. You feel it. Like, everybody goes, it feels right. I get that. With that said, I'm still not a big field rusher. It was 01, BYU versus Utah. Luke Staley off of the option. That was awesome. And then, really, what ended it was the Gennaro Guilford interception. Um, and then, oh, which by the way, I've heard that was the loudest Lavelle Stadium's ever been was that interception. I could, how do they mark that? Just people say that people that were there have like compared it I to other times. I was in ninth yeah. grade, yeah, um, and it seemed pretty loud to me then, but I wouldn't be able to compare that really. The other one, oh, nine, actually, this same year, also against Utah. Yeah. See, my claim to fame on rushing the field, oh, six against Tulsa, it rains out at halftime or around then. And fans started to get antsy, and me and like two other guys in front of me, we all decided to rush the field at the same time. So there wasn't already a mob. We just started it, and then we started a mosh pit. Like a thousand people got on the field, but I ran down the whole sideline and then dove into the pylon on the Wait, other was that side. The game you and I were at together. Uh, I can't remember, but but I I dove into the pylon in the end zone, and I got a ton of people cheering for me. It was awesome. <laughs> Was that, your, was that your? That was, that was probably the highlight of my life. athletic career, right there. <laughs> <laughs> athletic well, and, and Chase, you could probably—I mean, you could probably attest to this, but like, there is, for me at least, especially if you are the leader of the rush, right? If you are the first oh, yeah. or one of the first, there is some heavy adrenaline pumping, and like for me, it was always get to the center of the field or get to midcourt or whatever. Like yeah. that's where you're going. You know, some of these people, oh, I'll kind of take my time. It's like, no, no. no. You, you want to be the first one over the fence or first one over the rail and the first one out there. 
And do you and, know it'd be amazing if you were the first one and no one followed you? <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, you look you back know. and you're like, ah, oh, crap. <laughs> Yeah, you just gotta trust. You gotta trust that people are gonna are gonna follow Fantastic behind you. Feeling of you, like no joke, you're feeling like you're Matthew Broderick in Glory, leading but the charge up the but hill. But that's part of the rush. <laughs> and you look back. That's and part of the rush. You're like, up. I don't know, but I hope so. Type thing, you know. This is special feeling. And and so Jesus. I had I had I had been involved in that several times, and it was like it was just something you did. And so I think Britt and I, we just kind of understood. We didn't we didn't need to say anything. But with about 40 seconds left, I mean, you want to be careful that you're not doing something where you go out there while there's, you know, someone could stop the clock or something. But I want to say probably as, you know, we saw that clock ticking down and we realized there's not going to be another play run. And like I mentioned, we, we had a little probably three and a half foot plexiglass fence in front of us and we just hopped over and I just booked it. And all that was in front of us was some Gatorade tubs. Uh, a couple like metal benches and there was a space I just shot the bench and all of a sudden I was out there and I had known a few guys on the team. Uh, Dennis Pitta had been a, a roommate of some of my friends after his mission and there was a few guys there that was kind of like, okay, I had a class with this guy or something like that. So I'm out there and I just start high-fiving guys, smacking guys on the belly you know, just, Are you sure it was the belly? Just, hey, be, <laughs> everywhere, yeah, a basically. A few butts I did. Few, a few there. butts. Well, yeah. we, we have some, some video footage of, of one that I'll show you guys later. But um, I'm just out there having the greatest time in the world. And then everything kind of slows down, but you realize, like, okay, i got to take advantage. Because every second that ticks, ticks off, it kind of, like, starts to wear off, right? The excitement or the rush. And so all of a sudden I, I look up and I decide to do, like, a little lap around the field and I'm just holding up my finger number one and I'm you know what this makes me think of this makes me think of when Michael Scott got invited to that like board of directors meeting or something like that with uh down like down to New York City and he came in a limo and everything like that and he comes and he's like we're gonna go talk about it guys and we're gonna save the company and everyone starts cheering and then he like starts doing a lap around <laughs> It's like it was the excitement was wearing off, so you had to do whatever you yeah, could to keep yeah. it going. I mean, it was like it, it was just a huge adrenaline rush, and I'm out here doing a lap on the field. And now, keep in mind, I have I'm wearing a BYU shirt, and then I just have some shorts, and I had been in some sandals, but I ditched the sandals before I went on the field, so I'm barefoot. Smart, barefoot out there, and I'll tell you what, that turf felt really good under my bare feet, and I'm doing the lap with the finger up, the number one. And all I see is the sea of maroon, just dead silent, looking down. And then there's the little sliver of the BYU fans cheering and laughing. But it was just this eerie silence. And I, I didn't mention this before, but before the game started outside the stadium, I mean, like I said, there was tailgating. There was huge contingent of OU fans. But there was this, like, smug, quiet confidence to the point where, like, you know, they knew, okay, BYU, they're ranked, but it doesn't matter. We're, we're OU. Yeah. You know, we're going to take care of business. Which is they, a fair thing. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't need to talk smack. Yeah. They didn't need to do – it was just like, you know, this is business. We're going to come in, we're going to get a win, and we're going to leave. And that was kind of the attitude. So these guys were just absolutely shocked. And after I complete the lap, I'm looking around. I see Bronco getting interviewed. So naturally, I'm like, i got to crash this interview. 
So I wasn't going to like get between him and the reporter. And I had done this a few other times, but all of a sudden I, I kind of show up in the background and I'm just jumping up and down giving yeah, we're number one. Well, there was this security guy that was right behind him and he kind of, you know, pushes me out of the way. And as he's grabbing me, he kind of looks at me kind of like, who are you? And he goes, where's your field pass? And I go, I, you know, and I kind of just wiggled out of there and, and, and got away. In the meantime, I'm back with the players. I'm jumping up and down. Our contingent of fans is all on their feet. They're clapping. And a few minutes goes by, and it gets to the point where all of a sudden the players, this was back when they used to do the haka. So they go I over. I love that, by the way, and I'm actually bummed they ever went away from it, quite frankly. Yeah, I like And it. now more than ever we should do it with a Polynesian head coach, but whatever. And I know it's not a Polynesian. Well, it is technically because Maoris, I think, fall under that category. But it is Maori. It's New Zealand. Yeah. I know that. But anyway, still think I still thought it was really cool. And what I especially don't like is I feel like we haven't done it since Utah broke it up in '09, and that ticks me off. That that's the last time we've done it. It makes it seem like they have something to do with that yeah. decision, and I hate that. Anyway, sorry that was a tangent, but yeah, no, it's good. It's good to break it up. Otherwise, I'm just gonna, you know, go on forever. But. So they start to do the haka, and I'm just over there just watching. I'm just kind of in the back, and, uh, you know, Brian Keel's on my left, and Austin Collie's on my right, and, you know, you had 100-plus people on the field. Brian Keel had just graduated. Right? He was over yeah. as well, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he just finished up. So, like, it was just cool, and everybody was happy. And this Recent was, Giants draft pick. This was, this was incredible, and this was awesome. We never would have imagined this. And... I'd probably been on the field, at this point, I'd probably been on the field eight, ten minutes. The The thought had never crossed my mind that I might not be safe, that something might go wrong. And sure enough, as I'm watching the haka, I feel two sets of masculine hands grab each of my biceps, you know, and shoulders. And I turn around and it's stadium security. Catch part two of Justin's arrest story next week. If you like this episode, obviously, let me know. Subscribe, share it with friends, tell people what you've been listening to lately and how it's been so life-changing. And if you don't, then let me know. And uh, I'll never have Justin on again, except for part two next week, obviously. Y'all it's hourglass, sitting on my table, I'm watching. Because everything's changing my mind, goes to a different time. Oh, love, I remember falling so 